0: So you've got this list of things you can do daily, weekly, monthly, and then maybe once a year and then big lifelong reach list. And then you put that together and I call it a blue (laughs) scription.
1: Welcome to Speaking From Water, episode 43. Today is an extra special episode. I am here with the doctor of water himself. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the author of Blue Mind. Dr. Wallace J. Nichols is in the building and I cannot be more stoked to have him. He is the, the inspiration for us water lovers in a intellectual manner that delivers
0: it to, uh,
1: to all who understand Doctor, thank you so much for joining us
0: uh, it's my pleasure really good to see you again I've been looking forward to this moment for since last time I saw you so yeah
1: really- you, you were in wilmington at, at blue mind co-working um, uh, shouts out to 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 those guys and um uh, first of all how did you enjoy uh coming to our, our lovely uh, area here in, in Wrightsville Beach Wilmington
0: area yeah I love Wilmington I love the I love the North Carolina coast. It's um, actually my book, Blue Mind, opens on the Outer Banks. Literally at the, the opening scene of the book is is there, so a little up the coast. But spent some, some formative years there, and um, it was great to be back and to see all the energy happening in Wilmington around the ocean and around technology and around innovation. Um, I was really happy to see your artwork just everywhere uh, and helping people when they have to be inside, still keep their Blue Mind on through, I think that's a such an important part of the Blue Mind story. Um, of course, I was honored that Blue Mind Coworking named their business after this concept and they've just been great in helping build the move. And um, the conference was great as well. So just learned, met so many people, uh, what a great hub for uh, ocean innovation, really, uh, on on the world stage, um, Wilmington has emerged as uh, just a, a hub for for innovative thinking around ocean solutions. So, yeah, great visit.
1: Yeah. Excellent, and yeah, um, Michael and Julia, who who started Blue My Co working, when I um, first met them and they they saw my artwork and they they brought up your book and I was like. That that's the uh, the holy grail, guys. I'm so excited that you're starting a whole business a- around the Blue Mind book. And just for for context, everybody, um, but when I was first starting my career in, in ocean photography, uh, it took me about five years to kind of ask myself the question: like, what is it about this artwork that resonates? What is it about? The, the artwork that I'm going for that gets people in um, excited. And uh, I, I went into a deep dive myself, intellectually. I started going to reuniting with UNCW's library, researching, reading all the 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 work by uh, Kaplan and Kaplan, who I'm sure you're you're familiar with and uh, and eo w- Wilson um, and uh, the Biophilia concept. And I was like, yeah, like the biophilia of the earth is one thing, but like really, guys, it's all about the the water. And, um, UNCW asked me to do a, uh, an art show and we titled the aesthetic of water and your book was the freshman read that year. And it was a great honor to have your book, uh, um, be the thing that the, the, the UNCW was uh, uh, just putting on the the pedestal. And I think that was the year it, it, it your book came out. And when I, when I, read your book for the first time i was like this is it i i shall not go to the library uh anymore and do the research because <laughs> the research is done uh close the hammer and um today i you know we want to get into your book um but really i want to start with uh your history and and where you found your love for the water i know you talk about it uh at the start of your book but uh let, let's hear it from your your own mouth here uh, on this podcast like what's your earliest memory of water and and how did it affect you?
0: Yeah, I would say um, probably like a lot of people listening. I it goes way back. I I can I almost can't remember not loving the water. Um, but when I when I sat down to write Blue Mind, I I I thought that question that you're asking: What is my earliest memory? And it turns out the farthest back I could go was this recurring dream I had, and I I think um, this is going to sound kind of far out, but the uh, this dream, as my third birthday was approaching, I was so much looking forward to it, and in this dream, birthday party basically occurred at the edge of a giant teacup, and we, all my buddies and I, we dove into the teacup and dove to the bottom of this teacup that got bigger and bigger as we dove deeper, and then we we found these treasures, these like iron figurines at the bottom of the teacup. And I love that dream so much that I kept trying to dream it every night for years, and I still think about it and so when I sort of pulled that string back as far as I could go, that my memory of of water and just loving the feeling of being completely immersed it was actually a dream about it uh when I was in you know prior to my third birthday and i and i can remember i remember that it was my third birthday because of the the dudes that, that attended that third birthday party I, you know, I had a photo of, you know, Steve and rusty and, and, the gang. And, uh, and so just, you know, that's just sounds like a far off story, but it's also a reminder that our memory of water, our nostalgia, our dreams, um, you know, as a parent that you, you plant the, in your, in your child as they grow and experience life and, those become who they are and what they care about and what they love and what they fight for. Not just fun fun and games, it's it's deep stuff. And the fact that my earliest memory that I could pull back to was a dream of diving, basically, free diving, a free diving dream. I mean, in a teacup (laughs) of all places. is kind of interesting, and then to fast forward, here we are today on this day, two guys that love the water talking about our love of water. and so those those formative experiences um, that we we have and that we share with the next generations, whether they are our own children or college kids or you know as a guide, um, they're so important you know, to create like ocean warriors and people who care uh, and people who fix things, and not just break things. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my earliest memory, but then I grew up, you know, hang, hanging out um, East coast, New Jersey, Jersey shore um, lakes, rivers, pools, you know, the story, like always the last kid to get out of the water, no matter where we were pruny and sunburned and, Salty, um, and then I just I wanted to align that feeling with my life, and um, pursued uh, graduate school and college, studied biology and studied marine biology, wildlife ecology, and decided I wanted to be a, sort of an ocean conservation biologist um, because I wanted to keep that feeling kind of front and center in in my career. Uh, as well as my you know personal and social life Uh, so that's the quick version but i i think i as a kid i was pretty shy i was adopted i stuttered i'd had big questions about everything origins and life and um so in the water i felt whole and i felt home and i felt safe and i felt quiet and i didn't need to say things that would sound weird when I stuttered and people didn't ask me questions. And this overstimulating world, even back then, it was overstimulating to me, um, got quiet in the water. And so I didn't really understand that until much later in writing Blue Mind, but that was a big part of it as well. Not just the, hey, I I like the water, I'm gonna be a marine biologist, or I like turtles. I'm going to be a marine biologist like that famous meme of the kid who says, I like turtles and that kid's probably a marine biologist somewhere. Um, I, it was deeper than that. You know, it was healing. Um, and my awkwardness maybe in the air on land went away. Um, so I wanted to align, you know, life with that, with feeling, feeling better. So, um, yeah, we, we went deep real fast there, didn't we?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of want to understand what were the the activities uh, as a young man that in the water that you enjoyed most? I, I know you're a surfer. Did you start surfing on the Jersey Shore? Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, you know, I think pretty typical. You start, you know, body surfing just because there's nobody around to tell you not to, <laughs> You start catching waves, body surfing, and then boogie boarding, or whatever, whatever you can grab, skimboarding, um, and then eventually surfboards and everything, every, anything, really. And I like, I liked, uh, I really like surf kayaking. I know some people are like anti kayaks in the lineup, but um, you know, on a small day or um, certain circumstances, just being out there, you know, hand planing a. a Really anything I'm, um, and as I get older, it's nice to be able to shift back into, I like being in the water more. So I like to, uh, body surf and hand plane more, uh, just cause I want to be in the water and maximize my, you know, water time rather than waiting. Um, uh, free diving. I mean, as a Marine biologist, we scuba dive a lot, uh. A lot of boating, just tons of boating, all kinds of boats, any kind of, whatever the boat for the job was. Sometimes it was a kayak. Um, sometimes little Mexican fishing boats, we go out and catch turtles. Um, but even, you know, I'm very ecumenical about water. So if all you got is a rinky dink backyard pool, go for it. Like if that's, if it's the vinyl sided above ground thing that you could kick over almost. Totally old school, great. Just enjoy the heck out of that. Um, if you if you're lucky to have a you know a big, deep public pool that you can get in and go off the high dive and all that stuff, awesome. Um, if it's a farm pond or creek, I spent a lot of time in creeks, just little skinny bodies of water, catching frogs, looking for turtles. Um, fishing in the reservoirs, uh, camping next to the bodies of water. And, you know, to a little guy, those little bodies of water feel like massive wildernesses. And I go back to some of these places and I I see <laughs> I see these places. I'm like, wow, that was that seemed epic. You know, that little reservoir in New Jersey. Um and you go back and you're like, wow, that's yikes it's pretty pretty modest, uh maybe even a little sketchy, but that was our you know we were like young Indiana Joneses out there, just camping and swimming and fishing and um cooking what we caught, and uh so I just love all of it, and you know with the blue mind conversation we try to build on ramps from where people are to this idea, and so if you're if you happen to not be near the ocean, as most people are not near the ocean, uh, even if they're in an ocean state, you know, North Carolina, you could be in North Carolina, an ocean state, and many hours, uh, many long hours to get to the to the coast. Um, don't be bummed. Just access the water where you are. Like make that list. Uh, so, I mean, your question was about what. What activities? I just try to do it all. I mean, when when I've traveled to Scandinavia, jumping in the fjords, you know, before this whole this whole cold water thing has really taken off, but um, I just love to get in any body of water. Sometimes, you know, one time I swam across the Tijuana River and I got out the other side and I, I was told that there's some crazy toxic stuff in there and that was a really bad idea. You should probably you know, go get a tetanus shot and, you know, and, you know, peroxide or something. Um, But I just, I'm drawn to it, whatever the water is. So very, very open-minded about all water shapes.
1: And sticking with this time period of of you as a young man, were you, were you a, um, uh, a strong student at this time? And did you know that you wanted to be a marine biologist?
0: Yeah, looking back, um, I was an excellent student. I was I was good at math uh, in high school. I was the co captain of my math team, uh, but I also played sports. Um, those two worlds didn't overlap that much, but I, I loved math and I loved writing, uh, and so, and I love learning. And you know, looking back on, I went I went to a lot of school. I got a whole bunch of degrees. My kid, I went to the twenty fourth grade. I tell my kids, they think I'm nuts. Like they're, they're not impressed. They're like, "Dad, what's wrong with you?" Uh, but I love learning. I love educating myself um, formally and, uh, and I realized that I wanted to be a problem solver as an adult, not a problem maker or a problem spotter. There's a lot of people out there who will tell you what the problems are and point at them, and describe them. Uh, but fewer who actually sort of roll up their sleeves and solve the problem. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of people who make the problem in the first place. So, you know, in that in that sort of spectrum, I wanted to be a problem solver. So then I I wanted to prepare myself with the tools to do that. So I studied a lot of different things, biology and Spanish. Um I was a double major, biology and Spanish. And then I got a master's degree in economics, economics and policy at Duke sorry to the, uh, UNC crowd there. Um, and, uh, then went on and got a PhD in wildlife ecology and evolutionary biology. Um, and then kind of did a self taught neuropsychology or what I call neuroconservation conservation program in order to write blue minds. Uh, and I'm still learning about stuff. So, uh, I'd say my goal was to, have a, have a good useful toolkit to be able to be a member of any problem solving team, um, that offered value. And I feel like, um, I'm still trying to live up to that goal, but I think that's, that's how I see myself from, from a sort of a professional perspective.
1: Mm -hmm. And what kind of struck me most reading, um, about your, your educational history specifically was your trajectory to Duke. Duke is, is an amazing school, but it's not on the coast and you're, you're leaving the coast, you know, you're a young man, you're full of of vigor. What made you want to go to, to inland Duke and, and begin your education there? And, and I ask this because there's a lot of kids out there listening and they're, they're, they're weighing the benefits of like these typically, um, Uh, prominent schools versus say, you know, UNCW is a great school. It's on the coast, um, but, you know, Duke has that, that standard bearing uh, level. Tell us a little bit about your decisions there.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Durham is, is a a bit of a drive to the coast where the town where where Duke is located for those who aren't familiar with North Carolina geography. Uh, So I made that trip a lot. Um, We would, we would head to the coast like every weekend. Um, every hurricane we would drive to it because I was friends with a whole bunch of coastal geologists who were like hurricanes are their favorite thing. So while everybody's evacuating, we're going to study it, study the sand movement. Um, and, and then, uh, Duke has a great Marine lab. And so i spent a lot of time there, um, rented, rented a house in, in Beaufort on the coast. So I got to spend some time on the coast there and, um, surf the outer banks and, um kayak and do do all the all the fun stuff that you can do out there. Uh, So it was a a mix. So I think the Marine Lab. So I chose Duke because they have a a school of the environment that at the time was rare. There weren't a lot of schools of the environment. Uh, In fact, at the time, it was called the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. And then they upgraded the environmental studies part and and they still have forestry. and then they pulled the marine lab into the school of the environment. So that w- that consolidation and sort of renaming happened to our cohort. So I was there kind of as a guinea to uh, further bridge the marine lab to the environmental studies department or school. Uh, so I did my master's program there in environmental management with a focus on policy, econ and policy. Um, and during, you know, Side note, um, while I was studying eco- environmental economics, I was frustrated that this blue mind component was just not anywhere to be seen. So you, if you're saying, okay, what is what is a healthy ocean or a healthy bay or a healthy lake worth from an economics perspective? Well, you have you know the the resources that can be extracted and and exploited. Um it was considered very progressive to include tourism surf tourism or any kind of tourism. Um, And then you have the ecological benefits that were beginning to be better understood as a value, but entirely missing from the equation were the vast emotional wellness benefits that basically have dictated my entire life and yours, and probably everybody to some degree listening has had their life heavily influenced, if not utterly controlled by their emotional connection to water and the fact that we just left that out as not just unimportant or undervalued but just excluded made me think that our our conclusions as ocean economists studying the blue economy were just erroneous you know under we were undervalued professionally undervaluing this thing that's so important to life and so my my master's degree in part was uh, in exercise and frustration, which was an education in itself to kind of say, well, this is, this is a big miss and what do we do about that? Um, and so it took me a while to figure out what to do about it uh, to get this Blue Mind project going. Um, I got a PhD after Duke in wildlife ecology and evolutionary biology, uh, studied sea turtles, and their migration and their genetics and their growth and their foraging ecology. Um, And even in that work realized that the human dimension, which was undervalued and the human emotional connection to these beautiful animals and their habitat was not even considered. Um, Even working with turtle hunters, considering their very strong emotional connection to the animals they hunt, which is true for many hunters. Uh, they have a, a, a reverence and an awe and a wonder, in fact, for the animals they hunt. Um, and it turned out that was the most powerful motivator to save the, this uh, species, the black sea turtle, uh, from the brink of extinction, it was harnessing the emotions of the turtle hunters. So that kind of experience, frustration and insight led to this conversation about Blue mine. Why is it left out? Why do we so actively exclude it? Not just from higher education and graduate school, but K through 12. I ask people all over the world, did you learn in grade school that healthy water is good for your body, your mind, your heart, and your soul? No, nobody teaches that. Uh, Of course they don't teach it in medical school and nursing school. They don't teach it to environmentalists. If you're lucky, and you go to U.C. Wilmington, and it's your freshman read. You got to learn it, but most schools are not using um, that body of research to teach about water. So we have work to do there. Um, you know, I think that whatever U.N.C. Wilmington did, and whoever was the leader there who made that happen, needs a gold star, and they need to share that with every university on the planet. Straight up. I mean that's that's a, a strong recommendation because I don't think anybody should be allowed to graduate from high school, let alone college, and not understand their own blue mind. Um, it's a water planet. We're we're water beings. It is the basis of all life, the source of all life. If you don't understand mind, you don't get life. You don't get humanity. You don't get. You can't understand history. You certainly were effective as a human being in any endeavor. Um, that maybe sounds like sounds like I'm exaggerating my point. I don't think so. I I think I'm maybe under exaggerating. Uh, so yeah, that was a that was a bit of a ramble, but um, we can fix we can fix a lot of things quite easily. I mean, requiring a um, a group of students to read a book is really pretty, pretty straightforward books are pretty inexpensive they're you know the ebook versions and the audiobooks and the PDFs I'll send you a PDF um, we can do this without a bust in the bank we just need the leadership so hats off to the team at UNC Wilmington I guess is the the uh, the point of that long ramble. Um, I wish Duke had taught Blue Mind um, they're the blue Devils, after all they should they should be teaching Blue Mind.
1: <laughs> well, exactly. And it, it is all so intuitive. And it, when you start the conversation with anyone, anyone maybe that's not even near the ocean, doesn't have a strong connection personally with the ocean, they instantly get it. It's like, oh yeah, I love the color blue. I love being, uh, if I could choose a vacation, it would be at the beach. It's all very, very o- obvious. And Uh, you know, going back to the start here, what, what year was this when the blue mind concept in your academic life, uh, started coming into your consciousness?
0: I'd say, you know, if if I had to put a date on it, we have to go back to 2007 when the, I started to percolate and I started to form, you know, related, um, work. Uh, I wrote a proposal for a fellowship in 2009 for what um, at the time was a very prestigious fellowship I was nominated for, would have been three years of support to do Blue Mind. And the feedback was that it was too creative. So I didn't get that, that was a bit of a setback. Didn't stop me, but it slowed me down for sure. Um, we did our summit in 2011 at the California Academy of Sciences, which is kind of the Smithsonian of the West Coast. Um, and people told me I was committing career suicide I had a perfectly fine career going as a Marine biologist, but this was, you know, a departure and considered kind of far out weird. And obviously I disagreed and we, we did our first summit, uh, that year, uh, a guy named, uh, Michael Roberts, who's an editor at outside magazine. He, he basically followed me around for the year. And then they wrote a, a great article, uh, called your brain on nature. It's a article from that year late 2011, uh, about Blue Mind. That helped, but people were still kind of, you know, rolling their eyes. Um, So I pitched the idea of the Blue Mind book on the Heelside magazine article. It took me until 2014 to write the book. Um, And truth be known, I didn't plan on writing Blue Mind. I wanted somebody else to write it and I w- was planning to help them, uh, I wanted to read it. I wanted to read it and do it and put it in practice and teach it, but I didn't want to write that book. And uh, I pitched the idea to the person I thought would do the best job, um, the late great neurologist named Dr. Oliver Sachs, who you should read, ever written, truly brilliant man, brilliant neurologist, wonderful writer and lifelong water lover and music lover, massive intellect, Um, he's my hero. Pitched it to him and he said, uh, it's a fine idea, you do it. And uh, I, I remember very clearly, what I said to him was, yes, sir. And what I thought inside my head was, holy shit. Like, what did I just say? And it took me five years but I delivered the book uh, to his office in New York City, first edition, hardcover, signed. You know, dear Oliver, I wish you water. Um, and he was still he stayed around before he passed. Wrote a lovely book called um, Gratitude, little little book about his some essays about end of life. Uh, so he basically put it put it in my hands. But um, so from seed the seed to publication would be a seven-year, you know, t- 2007 to 2014. And now we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the publication of the book. And I think this year, officially, I'm comfortable calling it a movement. Um, people throw that word around a lot these days to mean much less than what it used to mean. Like people say, I have, I have a hashtag and in an Instagram account. I'm starting a movement. Um just from that's that's fine. That's the younger generation that we used to call those campaigns or projects. Uh, to my mind, to my old guy mind, a movement is something bigger than that. You know, the environmental movement, the you know, human rights movement, um, women's movements, um, you know, big bigger, bigger things. And I so I I feel comfortable calling Blue Mind a movement now because there are thousands of people, researchers advocates, people like you out there leading it, um, nonprofits, for-profits, surf shops, um, moms and dads and teachers and health practitioners who have taken this idea and run it up their flagpoles. And that starts to look like a movement after you know, nearly 15 years. Um, and so that's where we are today is now it's established science the practice, the blue mind practices, whether it's surf therapy, float therapy, cold water immersion, dive therapy, all the modalities they're established. I mean, there's so many great surf therapy programs popping up, um, really helping people kind of get, get back, uh, to where they need to be. Um, so, you know, now our goal is to kick that movement into overdrive and, reach the next billion people. I think we've probably reached a billion people so far um, this year. Our, our 10th anniversary goal is to double that and then eventually reach everybody. You know, every human being should, like I said earlier, understand their blue mind, have access to it and be able to practice it wherever they are. Oklahoma, Wilmington, you know, Alaska, it doesn't matter wherever you are. Um, you should know what this is, you should practice it when you need it, and be able to have access. I think it's a human right, really. Yeah.
1: And, and absolutely, just like you said, I myself consider myself an ambassador of water. Anyone listening can turn themselves into a, an ambassador of water. And really what it takes is doing the things daily that make you a better person through water. And you give the ingredients in this book it's it's almost well, it is a self-help book. it It brings you as a person to a a higher state of consciousness through a, act, activating the substance in a variety of different ways. And um, I, I like next to kind of talk about the different things that people can do on a daily basis to bring themselves up to this higher higher level. Um, me personally, i I swim every single day. I I swim for an hour straight. I don't stop. I do four thousand yards. It brings me so much peace. And when I take breaks and stop, I go downhill. Like it it, uh, just—it's—it's something that has to happen. And um, you know, that's me. People can do whatever they want, but I I personally believe you need to have a few different things. And you let me know what you think about this kind of plan. You know, you have to have—you have to be physical in water every day. You have to drink a certain amount of water every day internally put it into your body you have to also look at water whether you're in the office wherever you are your home you need to have water on your walls you need to have pictures of water um uh, audio of water uh fountains around you so this is all prescribed in the book um speak to that speak to the the things that people can do and then i'd like to kind of get a little bit into the science
0: yeah so you're you're right um you know, I hear sometimes from people they say, I, "I don't live near water. What do I do?" And the answer is, you do live li- live near water, and there's lots you can do for everybody. I've not met anybody who, at the end of the conversation, was able to push back uh, and and resist this idea. Um, but I think it's also you kind of touched on it. Um, t- mind well I think understanding red mind is important and that's our kind of new normal like the world is busier than than it was when we were kids it's busier and busier it's harder to step away these the super we carry around are so good at taking our attention and distracting us um, well I mean you, you have your own red mind list it's traffic and to do lists and trying to keep up financially and try and understand what's going on politically in the world, um, let alone your own kind of in local environment, like your household and all the, the screens and the sounds and it might be sirens. If you're in an urban environment and, um, and we're encouraged to sleep less, caffeinate more, grind harder. That's considered a, a various, uh, way of living. Um, Not to mention accumulating stuff and debt, uh, and it's. And that's red mind is really useful. You know, you need it. Like when you need to charge, you need, you need that. You need that, you know, a little more aggression, a little more. Um, it's how we win whatever we're trying to win. It's how we compete when we need to compete. Uh, it's how we, but it's kind of gone haywire. And some people don't know how to turn it off. And then they end up in what I call gray mind, which is burnout. And so red mind is a real physical thing. Um, and so is gray mind. So when your body and your mind say, can't, I just can't do it anymore. And they just stop and you're just flat and perhaps mildly depressed or despondent and languishing, your creativity is gone, you drive is gone uh, no matter how much caffeine you you chug it's not gonna that's burnout that's great mind we want to stay out of that so we want to move between red and blue that's kind of the the simple very cartoon like simplified very complex emotional states and blue mind is you know we get there by engaging with water in all of its forms Wild water, of course, lakes, rivers, oceans, rain, snow, ice in the mountains, on the coast, um, that wild, wild. But also, as you mentioned, the domestic water, pools, tubs, showers, uh, soaking tubs, sprinklers, all the water that's held temporarily uh, for our use. I call that domestic water. But then there's also urban water. So you're, you're, um, so make a mental, as I go through this list, make a mental list, wherever you are, you've got wild water. It might be just a, a winter Creek that's frozen or a pond, but it's still there. Um, and if you're in Wilmington, it's the, called the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and then you've also got domestic water and you may have access to a public pool or a, a neighbor's pool that you can hop the fence and get in. Or if you're lucky to have a, a hot tub in your house or a big, a big giant bathtub, at least a shower. And then there's urban water so fountains around your city and urban waterfronts that are being fixed up and you can in town next to a river or a lake and sometimes a boardwalk by the ocean so that's the urban water and the built environment meets water in kind of a pub usually a public way Um, and then we get a little bit esoteric and it's virtual water so you mentioned artwork so your art is virtual water and that makes wild water the awe portable so somebody can take the awe they feel by the ocean through the vehicle of your artwork and put it in a co-working space and it, granted the actual atlantic ocean is so much better than a depiction of it but that's okay you you want you want this 365 day access so sometimes art Music poetry, uh, photography, film, recordings you mentioned recordings of water that's virtual water. Uh, I'm not even talking about VR headsets, although if that's your thing, you can do water things there um, but so there are all these ways to bring water without actual the without without actually including the physical water into our into our lives through through sound and through imagery and then we have the um, imaginary water and that's the water that fills our dreams. And that's the water that when you close your eyes and I say, think of the water you love, that's the water you see in your mind's eye and that you hear in your memory and that you can even taste and feel the touch in because this powerful thing called a brain and nervous system is holding that everywhere you go. So you've got the imaginary water and then you've got the embodied water and that's, you mentioned hydration being so important. So we, we are bodies of water and so are the sea turtles. And so is that hawk out there. And so are our kids and so are the plants. They're all bodies of water. Sometimes 90% water is what they're made of. And if you have a forest fire, which we've experienced, you, you will witness the removal of all that water. And what's left is very, very volume-wise. So the embodied water is a, a, a form, uh, a source of blue bluebine. So walking in the forest, you're basically walking through bodies of water in the form of plants. Uh, it's fun to think about that. All of those trees, uh, that bird flying by is a body of water. It's that fly, it's called a bird. Um, and then we, the last form of the seven forms of water uh, is metaphoric water. So all of the language that we have that uh, refers to water, like in the flow, or, you know, I'm drifting, uh, I'm surfing. Sometimes you re- talk about surfing when you're not actually surfing on water. It's a metaphor. Metaf- water metaphor. Water is the greatest source of metaphor in our language. And they're so powerful. And you feel a little bit of blue mind when you use those metaphors and you communicate with them. So that's a big list, seven forms of water. Each of us within each of those categories could make a a list. You put that list together and you go, okay, I can do these things in my life as it is now. I don't need a big vacation. I don't need to move. This works for who I am and where I am with my current skill level and then you can add to that list your reach things like okay if i acquired a new skill if i learned to surf or learn to dive or learn to like cold water plunges or whatever new skills you hope to acquire that's your reach list and then your additional reach list is places you may aspire to go visit might be a once in a lifetime trip to iceland or um big surf trip to your dream, your dream break that you might get to visit once in your life. That's like, it's on your, it's on your, your bulletin board, that photo that you tore out of Surfer Magazine 15 years ago. And you're like, man, someday, someday. Um, so you've got this list of things you can do daily, weekly, monthly, and then maybe once a year and then big lifelong reach list. And then you put that together and I call it a blue scription and your goal is to do it every day like you like you said i tell people 23 minutes a day set that as a goal if you go longer awesome um if you miss a day no biggie come back hard the next day if you miss 5 days don't kill beat yourself up just you know like you said you might feel it you might feel that red mind in that gray mind but just come back renewed to give it a shot um and so you might get in the pool and you might get to the beach. You might pause just for a coffee and looking at the water. Uh, you might enjoy some artwork. Uh, you might go for a walk in the park through that those bodies of water called trees. Uh, you might put on that app that plays water sounds that helps you relax and on the news and getting more stressed. Uh, you might start your day with some kind of water activity and a, a nice big glass of water that you have, you know, slowly, uh, ingesting, uh, a mindful shower, a mindful bath, um, all of these things go to a float spa, you know, there's float spas almost in every town now and spend an hour there of just floating in nothingness, you know, once a week or once a month, or just once try it. So that, you put it all together I, I call it a blue scription and the cool thing about a blue scription is that i can give you a blue scription and i kind of just did you can give me one you can turn to your neighbor and say hey i'm going to just walk you through this cool process i learned about and we're going to come up with your blue scription you can't there are no no negative side effects um i mean obviously. You surf too much and you lose your job, that, that's potentially, a, or relationship. I, you know, we could go there. But generally speaking, there is not this long list of scary side effects that you hear about pharmaceuticals. Um, you can't really overdo a blue prescription. Um, It's really good for you physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually. It, may, it will, if you, do, if you do it for a month, promise this is a hard promise you'll be happier you'll be healthier you'll be m- more creative you'll be calmer i a- promise 100 percent there's no way it doesn't work and so you might be thinking oh this water thing is kind of niche. um no it's not i mean it's this i think this is the biggest most important conversation we could be having um that connects to a lot of the big problems, societal problems that we are trying hard and failing uh, at solving. Um, And so it's a simple, as you said, intuitive and transformative concept. Uh, You don't need permission to create a blue scription for yourself, for your family, for your colleagues, for your friends, for strangers. Uh, That's the cool thing about it. You don't need a Medical degree to create a blue scription. Um, the science is very clear uh, on the efficacy of these activities. Um, and one of the coolest things about water, I think, in, in this sort of wellness realm is that these things, these little supercomputers that we're all walking around wearing on our wrists or carrying in our pockets, they don't like the water very much. Actually, they hate it, especially the salty water. They do, bad things happen. You wreck your expensive technology. Uh, Like those headphones and this laptop I'm sitting in front of, iPhone, it does not like to surf, man. It really, it does not like to cold plunge. It does not like to swim laps. That's good news. That's the best news because you don't need more screen time. You need a hell of less screen time. And water is going to help you. It's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard to break away from this technology. It's almost impossible for our kids, but the water, they, it's easier when you're at the water. Yeah.
1: Blue Scription. I love it so much. And on that final note, you just touched upon the the idea of boredom comes to mind. And People say to me, oh, Sean, I hate staring at the bottom of the swimming pool. It's so boring. And I'm like, guys, that's the best thing ever. We need more boredom in our heads. And that's why we do it. We, we need boredom. Speak to boredom and the importance of it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's such an important point. Um, I think we're losing the ability to, to do solitude, to sit quietly with our own thoughts. And history is very clear, that is that is the time that we are creative. That is the time where the aha moments that have changed the world occur. If every time you feel that little, little couple seconds of boredom and you quickly turn to a screen and you get you consume somebody else's creativity instead of being creative yourself you're you're outsourcing you're i mean you're consuming some dumb shit frankly i'm you know some of it's brilliant some of it's beautiful but i watch kids watch their screen and then i look and like what are you what's on there and it's not good necessarily um and so we've replaced this solitude and boredom which leads to creativity and leads to mind wandering which is a good thing and leads to new ideas with stimulation from from somebody usually who's trying to sell you something uh that if you if you do that with enough people for enough time it hurts us it hurts society it shifts uh changes our 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 brains literally and then you have to do a lot of work to kind of get back and there's a guy university of virginia tim wilson and done some work with him he's a psychologist maybe i think he is or was the head of the psychology department there he did a study of college kids and he had them come in one at time into a room windowless room sit at featureless windowless sit at a table no devices, no screens, no phones, no notebooks, and one button in front of them. And he said, go ahead and press that button. And if they pressed the button, it, it shocked them and their butt, mild shock. Not too painful, but unpleasant. And he said, would you like to feel that shock again? Universally, they did not. Would you pay to not feel that shock again? Universally, they would. How much would you pay? Results varied. And then the actual experiment began. Uh, The experimenter left the room and said, I'll be back. Uh, Just sit tight. And left the kids, college kids, in that room for six to 15 minutes. And the majority of the young men voluntarily shocked themselves because the boredom of sitting quietly with their own thoughts six to 15 minutes was more painful than the pain of the electrical shock that they previously said they would pay to not feel fewer of the women uh shocked themselves so i don't know if that's good good news or what for it's definitely not good news for our guys Um, one kid shocked himself 180 times that was considered an outlier not included in in the data but probably sent to student services for some kind of analysis, to see what could be done. Um, but we can all identify with that. So we, we hurt ourselves. We, we're so desperate to not be quiet with our own thoughts and experience solitude that we're going to substitute an electrical shock versus the feeling uh, of, let's call it boredom. But it's in, in that space, I call it blue mind in that quietly, quiet, calm, contemplative space that we, we can really get creative. And it's, it's kind of a cliche that creative people go to the water to have good ideas. I know musicians that say whenever they're stuck, they go to the water, writers, poets, painters, they go to the edge of the water, they go to nature, and it gives them the privacy, the solitude the, the productive boredom, the creativity. Um, and that's not magic. It's neuropsychology. And these devices, these screens are stealing it from us. And, uh, you know, when I talk to young people, one of my favorite questions is, what's the coolest thing that's happened this week on social media? Y'all spend countless hours daily, um, weekly, monthly, out of the year, it's an insane amount of hours spent uh, on these apps. What's the coolest thing that happened this week? And the answer I hear most, almost universally, is I don't remember. Wow. That's a, you could have learned another language. Like you could have written a book, and, you know, with that, that time. You could have graduated early. You could have started a small business. You could have been surfing. You could have been swimming. You could have been improving something. That's um, a lot of hours and you don't remember <laughs> what was cool. You know, sometimes it'll take a little while and they're going to go back in their memory and try to remember something cool that happened or something they learned. And some people do use technology to learn. And, that, and I think that's great. But the, the mindless sc- doom scrolling or just kind of, flipping past things at a, like, milliseconds per image, um, is registering and putting money in somebody's bank account, um, but it's not serving our, our creative, uh, youth very well. Um, I was, I spoke at a, a Tall Ships conference in Baltimore, uh, two weeks ago, and, um, these are organizations that take young people out on these historic schooners sailing for a weekend or a week, and then the kids learn how to operate a ship. And um, you, across the board, I kept hearing that our, our young people are in trouble. Um, and the ones that not the ones that you think are you you know that are diagnosed or um, coming for therapeutic reasons, all of them uh kids don't know how to talk to each other they get on board these ships and you know one instructor told me that a kid said i didn't know that i knew how to make friends i learned that i i can talk to people i don't know this week which is awesome but also kind of heartbreaking that that young person didn't know that about themselves until they got away from the technology at sea on a schooner Um, and then you think of all the kids that aren't given that opportunity uh, in that way. And then my mind goes to how do we make sure they get those opportunities to disconnect from VR and AR and AI and apps and just be a kid, be a human in the water um, scanning, the water, you know, slowly waiting, watching, learning, uh, having every cell in their body go like buzz. Um, you know, seeing a dolphin, uh, being you know being scared even of a big wave or a moment. That's all part of it. You know, um, so the blue scripture idea is one sort of super hyper democratic way to say do this for yourself do it for the people you love do it for the people you know and then start doing it for the people that you don't know uh when you go to the water take somebody with you you know the plus one you know, take care of yourself make sure you got your routine um but go grab somebody that's stuck you know uh like we all know who that is in our lives. We all know our friend or family member or colleague that is not outside very much, kind of gray mind. We know their address, we know their name, probably know the color of the couch that they're stuck to. Uh, go, get them, get him, down. Um, grab them, grab their hand and go, you know, bring them with you to the pool, bring them with you to the beach they might be like, I don't know how to swim. Cool. We got you, you know, we got floaties, no excuses allowed, you know, promise it will be a good day for them better than that couch, better than that gray mind. Um, probably we'll have a good conversation with them that wouldn't have happened otherwise uh, getting away, you know, from the technology and the indoor stuff. So yeah, that's, You know, that's the idea
1: it. And uh, can we can you share uh, what your daily blue scripture is your routine?
0: Well, my life is like the opposite of routine. (laughs) Um, I admire people who have like solid routines. Um, it just, I, my, my life by design is sort of a, an exercise in creative disequilibrium, so day to day. Um, every day is a little different and I love that that said uh, I try to get get in a saltwater pool daily for a swim Um, and even that I do uh, all kinds of range of motion stuff I've hand paddles and all these little cool things and floats and ankle weights and I bring it's kind of like crossfit in the water just do a whole bunch Feel, and you know, I feel like I'm physically healthier than I've been since grad school right now, because of that moving my body in the water intentionally, daily. Um, I try to get to the bodies of water wherever I'm located geographically. So if I'm on the coast in California or in the Midwest, go to the rivers. If it's winter, snow is water, snow and ice. Frozen ponds are awesome. Um, If it's an urban environment, traveling a lot, kind of on the road a lot, I'll just seek it out. Uh, Had a wonderful conversation yesterday with a guy named Justin Einstein, who's the top researcher, neuroscientist, who studies our brain on on float tanks. And a brilliant guy, look him up and read everything that he's published for sure. so if, you know, if you're stuck in a city and you need your blue mind, go find, just Google closest float spa, and then sign up and go float for an hour. I like doing that. Um, I like to keep it interesting and and I struggle with the, if I make a routine and, and my life sort of shatters the routine. So I just have embraced, <laughs> I've embraced disequilibrium a bit. Um, and uh, if I'm in a place where the tap water is slightly above freezing because it's that cold outside, I'll try to fill a tub up with, you know, 39 degree water and do a cold plunge in a, in a bathtub, wherever it is. You don't need a, a cold plunge facility. Um, I practice that regularly. Um, I love getting into steam or sauna and then into an icy cold shower or a cold plunge. So I do that whenever possible, back and forth, um, you know, and any everything outside. You know, I get I get to go cool places, and you know, this Tall Ships conference was in Baltimore, and got to go to the Baltimore Harbor and go and get my blue mind on with the director of the aquarium there, and walk around and see all the all the cool things they're 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 getting their their dolphins back into the wild, uh, under the new, the leadership of the aquarium. And that's, it was fascinating to see what they're doing to rewild these dolphins and, um, go hang out in you know, behind the scenes with, with the dolphins there. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, I feel like a lucky man in, in that regard, um, that I, you know, I wrote this book that then gets me. Into interesting places, uh, and they're and I have to say they're not all sort of beautiful tropical warm, healthy oceans. It's it's a little bit of everything from um, Flint, Michigan, where there's this you know heartbreaking water crisis, to you know Turks and Caicos, where it's tropical and warm, uh, to Baltimore Harbor in February, you know, uh, which is its own thing. Um, Say every day a bit different and, and I try to enjoy, enjoy all the things I get to I learn. And then, you know, talking to you is like today, my, the highlight of my day is this conversation that we've been looking forward to. And um, I just get so excited, you know, to share ideas with a guy like you who is then rippling them out to a bunch of people I'll never meet man, that's like, that feels good. You know, like that feels like, um, you know, I, right before I was looking, I was looking, somebody posted something about this idea of if you feel like you're not living up to your potential and you don't know what your purpose is, that that can be kind of a, that can weigh you down in life. And I reflected on that earlier today. It's kind of like my morning reflection. And I thought, I don't have that problem. I, I don't, I I feel like I, like I, when I was in grad school, I trapped the sea turtle across an entire ocean. And I felt like that was the pinnacle peak of my life and my career. I can retire now. And I was like 28. <laughs> uh, And so, and I've never been unclear about my, my purpose. It's always probably back to that dream in the teacup. Um, and that's, that's truly a blessing, you know, to, to have that clarity of purpose and, um, satisfaction with your small contribution, uh, to life. And, um, that feels good you know I don't I don't have the the um like the broken broken thing that's making me you know stressed uh and I know people who do and I you know and I think there's something in this blue mind thing I I know people who were a bit lost didn't have a purpose they understood blue mind and then it clicked they're like this this is a big movement That needs all of us and here's my part whether it's surf therapy or helping people just go outside for a walk down to the creek or working with kids on the autism spectrum or hope you know at risk youth who are just troubled with anxiety Um, there's just so much there Uh, so every day I feel like I have a conversation with someone that um helps clarify their purpose you know like it's a, I get to be the mirror and the catalyst and then they click in and um, when that happens it's it's just massively awesome
1: yeah. so a couple of weeks ago i had the pleasure of interviewing uh, um someone who lives in Santa Cruz uh, close to you. he's also a big big wave surfer at Mavericks but his passion his name is Jack Acrop and he uh, takes children after school. He has an after school program, and he takes these kids to the beach and teaches them water safety, water activities. And uh, I, I say this because there is literally an infinite amount of things a uh, human can do that involve water to some degree. You know, my thing is taking pictures and putting those pictures of water onto the walls to make people feel better. There's so many different things you can teach swimming lessons, and you you are so also. Uh, lucky in your professional life as a academic, a a professor, a doctor to have found your thing uh, when you did. And, and uh, I guess like hearing that people almost tried to talk you out of, of this idea at the start at at, right now is comical, but say you listened to them and you didn't do the thing and you stayed in your lane at the time, like, like uh, it's, it speaks to the importance of following a passionate intuition, and uh, you know, ten years on since the book's published, you, you've done so many great things. Uh, you've spoken all over the world. Um, I guess speak to 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 that as far as uh, the uh, finding passion, and then how how this book has changed your life personally. Uh, to to I mean, are are you still? Uh, uh, I guess in the classroom teaching? Or is your teaching more uh, fluid, as I should say, with the book and going on tour and uh, your engagements? Um, how, how has the, the success of this book changed you in your life?
0: So, yeah, so first part, I've thought a lot about that question. It's a really good question. Like, how do you know? When you know, you know, but how do you know you know? You know, it's that when it's in your gut and you feel like you have to do something but everything around you says, no son, that's dumb. You know, that's career suicide, or there's no money in that, or that's ridiculous, or all of the messages that you may maybe get. And the, the possi- there's a possibility that those people are right. So you you don't want to spend like running in circles doing something that's go, really not, you know, a good idea. So that's the, that's the tension, right? Um, and I, I'm on, on this side of, of that kind con- of people who sometimes have is, and they sometimes are um, great and they're being told by everybody else that they're not. Uh, and then sometimes they're not great. fully formed clear ideas um but i don't want to be the guy that says you know that's career suicide or don't do that uh and so there is that that tension and it's it's you got to try stuff and if it really is a bomb fail fast as they say but if it's only partly a bomb fix it and keep going and it's it's an artistic process it's an iterative you've probably been through it so many times where you a new technique or new material or new genre kind of, or a new, you know, a new artwork and you're like, oh this is not going exactly right. Let me step back, be calm, think it through, come at it again. Um, so that's part, part of the process. And um, the other part of that answer is it's not fast. Like, you know, your art making is not fast my art making, movement making, book writing, it is the opposite of fast. And everything's telling you to go faster. Um, Like people want to get where you are tomorrow. A young artist might say, I want to be where you are fast. like, whoa, bro, chill. You know, it's beads on a string. Every day is a little bead, doesn't look like much. You do it for a year, a decade, you got this beautiful necklace. And that's how it works. So the patience part, um, which is where blue mind comes in too, because in this red mind, impatient world, beautiful things take some patience, sometimes decades, like our work on sea turtles. Sea turtles don't come back from the brink of extinction in a year, five years, 10 years, or even 20 years. It's 30 years plus until you see some kind of blip uh, that is giving you hope. And so if you're not ready to just chill out, work hard and wait, um, maybe, you know, you should be an app designer. <laughs> That's cool. You know, but there's a patience to it as well. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I would say writing Blue Mind and sort of n- not handing it off, which was my original goal and accepting the challenge and stepping up in and, then and, being the cheerleader for the idea at this point. Um, it's I, you know, I'll be completely honest. It 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 drained all my tanks, right? Financially, emotionally, physically. Um I'm I was all in practicing Blue Mind, but then, you know, we had this thing called the pandemic. Um I lost my mom. We lost our home in a wildfire. I was not as resilient as I should have been, um, and, and say now in taking my own advice, uh, in the wake of a wildfire during a pandemic and losing loved ones saying, okay, blue mind guy, this is like a combo shitstorm. Um, what are you going to do? And I knew what to do water water, 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 you know, in the pool, uh, to the creek, to the ocean, to the beach, the cold plunge, the sauna, the, uh, just um, refill my my physical and emotional and spiritual tank, and then start working on refilling the financial tank so that I can be strong, you know, and say yes to projects. Um, so yeah, if from a distance, maybe it looks, uh, cheerier than that but i'm going through the life that everybody through and dealing with the sleeplessness sometimes and then putting on you know ocean sounds in the bedroom in the middle of the night to try to nurse myself back to sleep um all that you know raising a couple kids that are in college with that those bills and stuff uh so it's, it's uh, I think having through the struggles, having, knowing my purpose is life-saving and having my purpose connect to water and having the people around me remind me to do the thing that I wrote about. <laughs> like blue mind guy needs to be reminded to practice his own blue Um, I don't need to be reminded daily but regularly and uh dana my wife reminds me she's like you need to get in the water and she's um, and she's always right and if i'm like "No, oh, i got stuff to do she will drag me out to the water she will literally she's like here's your bag uh, get in the car or, or just walk out the door um So, yeah, it's, you know, reminders, friends who remind you the social aspect. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited We're this is the 10th anniversary of the publication of Blue Mind and I'm I'm updating some of the the science and the footnotes. Uh, We're going to put out, put out the 10th anniversary edition and build this Blue Mind movement further. And, you know, that's an invitation. If. If these ideas resonate with you, um, grab them and run with them, you know, let us know what you're doing because we can, can amplify it, but you don't need uh, you know, like Blue Mind Coworking, case in point. Um, they sent me an email and said, oh, we named our business Blue Mind Coworking. We hope that's okay. And I was like, that's better than okay. Right on. You know, I hope it's a huge success and you have thousands of conversations and in fact it's true and that's how we met so um that's uh I love that so if you're if you've got an idea for how to put bloom into action go for it and and link in with this movement and this community and let everybody know what's working and um share share the love yeah.
1: And what are the things happening right now that that people can tap into? Is there an organization? Is there an annual meeting? Uh, tell us tell us what there is.
0: Yeah, so there's not really a I mean, Blue Mind is. In fact, it's a, an idea and it's a movement. So if you Google Blue Mind, you will find hundreds of businesses and nonprofits that name themselves Blue Mind, and they're not my entities. I. I don't even know about some of them. Um, you, you will find different brands that Blue Mind as a concept to describe their work, whether it's therapeutic or a boat, you know, their boats named Blue Mind. Um, as far as what what I do to kind of fuel that, we, we have an annual Blue Mind Summit. Uh, this year will be our 14th annual Blue Mind Summit. Uh, we're holding it in late September in partnership with the International therapy organization and the theme is blue mind impact. So we're going to bring our community together and everybody will have an impact story to tell what'd you do, how does it help the world? How does it save lives or improve lives? so it's going to be an awesome, um, celebration of, of, of the movement. Uh, I do an annual online book club, which is kind of a ridiculous little project but I read the book live online on Facebook Live every day for 70 days, uh, just get on and pick up where we left off and people have questions and comments and people meet each other and it's, uh, we've done that for 11 years. So 770 episodes live without missing a single episode. Um, I, I don't know any other authors that have done anything like that for a really good reason. It's ridiculous, but it's, um, it's just community building. Uh, you know, we give an annual Blue Mind Award. Uh, we usually do that at, at the summits. Um, I do workshops and keynotes, and uh, you asked about um, teaching courses. I, I get invited to universities to teach courses and workshops. Um, so university, well, you know, UNC Wilmington, University of Rhode Island, I, I do an annual lecture uh, Montana Tech. Uh, engineering in an engineering um, course. Um, so, d- just try to plant these seeds uh, everywhere. Um, it sounds scattershot, but it is strategic, I promise. Um, but I do like to catalyze projects and you know meet people that have an idea, help support the idea, get out of the way uh, as necessary connect them with the scientists and advocates that i know Um, but for my part the whole i don't get grants i don't have a a job Uh, this is not a business or an organization it's 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 me being as free as i can and partnering creatively Um, i have a patreon site that people if they're if they're saying hey i want I want to stay connected to the, to this movement. Um, if you go to the blue it'll take you to Patreon, uh, and you can sign up for free. You can be a dollar a month supporter. You can be an ambassador. There are perks at the different levels, but that's how I fund it. Um, that currently generates enough money to give away a lot of books. Doesn't really, uh, pay the rent, so to speak. Uh, working on that still after 15 years, the crowdfunding. I'm. I'm not, I guess I'm not that good at good at it, but getting better. Um, but really, I, I. My goal, intellectual freedom. I want to be able to do things, say things, and not be beholden to, um, a funder, a corporation, a government entity, of, of rules that I don't agree with. And so I trust myself to do and say the right thing. And, um, I want to be able to do that efficiently. And so the best way to do that is to remain connected, but independent, if that makes sense. Um, my creativity goes way up and I've been in positions within big organizations where I had a steady salary and a a list of rules. Right. Are you awesome? Yep.
1: Yeah, I lost you at.
0: Either.
1: Okay, here, here. This is key. I lost you at. Um, you had a list of rules, and I want to expand on this because this is one of my key questions here. Um, so th- we're in a very unique period in academia. Um, information is abound. the The phone has everything in it. Chat GPT can write a book in in two seconds, and and you've lived. You've lived from the start of this world where you had to do researches in a library with a card catalog. Um, now you have this independence, okay? so where where are we? and and what what do you recommend for intellectuals out there to do? Do you do you, for those kids who are spending their family's life fortune to go to these universities as they are today? um i guess is that a good investment for the intellectual to do or should they do their own work like you're doing right now because you've done you've done both um Mm -hmm. what what's the prescription there
0: yeah it's a question and and um you know i i have two kids in college right now one is syracuse one is decided to go abroad and study in entrepreneurship school in spain um so I'm watching and listening the the um you can learn so much on your own, own using technology and take online courses uh, but what you don't learn are the soft skills which are like how do you interact with fellow human beings in hard situations and snowstorms in, snow storms, in um, in the classroom, how do you collaborate physically and in, in person? And so I see the strengths of an education at a—it's called a traditional university—partly um, through that that lens, and I, and I see it now through my visits, my short visits to universities, but also my my daughter and her her four year experience starting mid pandemic after our house burned down. She went to university, you know the day before our house burned down, and she's been at it. Um, I think what she's learned in the classroom has been well, we'll see if it's useful, but what she's learned in the um, you know this university environment, the social network, really, is probably the most valuable piece. And that's hard to do on Zoom. You know, like art, my connection to you is so much deeper because we've been in a room together. I've stood in front of your artwork. You've talked about it to me with like through, through actual air. And I think it's pretty amazing. We have the technology to have a deep conversation on a screen, but the lived experience is still part of it. So I think the hybrid needs to have all of that however you however you do it, um, So I would say this you know to students approaching a university education or just education in general, keep that in mind. I do interact with college kids that are having a hard time with the social aspect of life. They're much more comfortable back in their dorm room, looking at and learning that way, filling in the forums, doing the quizzes watching videos and texting Um, when you're face to face with them, and you ask them, you know, an easy question that they might think is really hard question. Like how you feeling like really? (laughs) And it's like uncomfortable. Um, So I think, uh, I think you want to learn this stuff, learn how to learn. But also learn how to be a, um, a human, like living in the air world, living in the water world. Um, so that's not a that's not a prescription, really. You know, maybe that's a slightly vague even. But do it all. Don't don't get too enthralled with life in virtual reality. To the point where your body gets soft and you you lack social skills, um, you know a hybrid version. Take the best of everything and put it together. Um, the financial part of it, the debt, the heavy heavy bill. That's a whole, that's a whole other challenging question. You know, I'd say if you're near a good university, like do those first two years. At a community college where it's a good education. It doesn't cost you an arm and a leg and then, you know, go from there. Um, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed all of my academic experiences. I mean, when I went to Duke, they won the national championship. That was like an education in itself of just mayhem. Um, camping out to go to a basketball game was just like a weird thing. And I'm glad I did it. Uh, so you know, those are the experiences outside the classroom that a, a university environment or a tall ship environment can provide. Um, but keep, I, you know, you you mentioned AI writing the book. Um, I don't, I don't know if I asked AI to write Blue Mind for me. Um, if anybody would be able to stomach it. I mean, would it be even readable or would it feel like AI wrote a book? You know, how do you, um, how do you weave a narrative and bring in personal stories? And so I think there's a a, a human component to real, to art. I know AI is just going to replace artists and writers, um, but maybe people will, you know, look more at it here's a a comparison in the music world things have changed a lot so we started with napster for those who remember napster you got apple music you've got i got every song in the world you can pretty much listen to for free somewhere what has that done well that's pushed people into concerts together you pay a lot more to sit in a room with a musician that you love And hear their skin squeak on the strings and hear like and get spit on, maybe, because you're in the front row and they're blowing through the trumpet and you just got wet from the spit, you know. Pay more for that. RR, real reality. Um and that kind of ties us back back to the the water version of that, you know, virtual water on a on a headset it's kind of interesting but nothing i'll take 10 seconds in the ocean over an hour long ocean documentary like no question it's just so much f- more full and rich and wonderful than even the best most beautiful high definition vr ocean immersion so far at least um you know the the feel of salt water just like filling your sinuses because you're upside down uh getting Erred, you know, pounded and rolled, and um, VR version of that doesn't exist. So that's you know, I don't, I don't think there's really even a competition. Uh, as sticky and addictive as the technology is, um, real water wins still. So
1: when Wallace J Nichols goes into the float tank and closes his eyes. What, what's the water that that just brings you the most joy from your memory? Where are you going?
0: Well, you know, those float experiences so far, every time I do it, it's different, which is the like cool and weird. And so sometimes it's chatter. Sometimes I can't stop the looping. You know I've, I've got a lot going on and i go in and it's just like okay um i'm I'm, a, I'm gonna surrender to the chatter that's in my head and it takes forever for it to quiet uh, other times it's like boom i just go like i feel like everything that is me just is dissolving into everything else like in the universe like i'm a alka-seltzer tablet i'm just dissolving um Sometimes I've floated and I, I swear it was like 63 hour naps, like every I'd fall asleep and I wake up and I think i had been asleep for three hours and then I fall asleep and I'd wake up and I think it was another three hours, but in totality, it was 60 minutes and maybe I took 20 short naps and I had no idea how long I had been in the tank. Like if they had said, you've been in the tank for a week. I always said, yeah, that's what it feels like, but it was 60 minutes. Um, So it felt like I was, I just got back from Maui, you know, for a week. Um, So, you know, it, it, it varies, it varies greatly. And I think, um, have you done, have you been in a float tank? Have you tried it?
1: I have not, which I'm very embarrassed to say, because there is one up the road. And and I the only re, I have no excuse honestly like I I go to the beach and I go to the the pool and then I'm yeah. like well I don't have that many hours you know to do more things so I should go I should go and I will because yeah. we had this conversation
0: yeah well so here's what I would suggest and anybody that's listening that has a similar answer um go over there or call them up and say I want the three float deal whatever that is a discount on intro an introductory three float sessions so, and then sign up for three of them over, over the course of two weeks or less. So, you know, day one, day five, day 10 for an hour, hour and a half, whatever there, some float tanks was float, float spas do an hour or 90 minutes. And don't back out. Don't give up, go the first time. Um, maybe go with someone and have them float in another tank and then go out and chat about it. Uh, don't caffeinate before you go in. Just go in as clean as you can. Then go out for tea afterwards and chat about it. And then do your second float and your third float. And then for you, do a podcast with the float spa owner and talk about it from your first person experience. But take some notes so that you can look back on the weird shit that you thought of and how float one, two, and three are different. Um, possibly your conclusion is I don't ever need to do that again. That's fine, it's just a, a, an activity that you can talk about you know, at parties. Uh, or you might say, I think that's my go-to. Or you might say, I'll do that monthly. Or become like a float tank evangelist and be telling everybody. Man, that was the best thing ever. And so you've got, you know, pro athletes that do it religiously, like Steph Curry. He's a floater. And Tom Brady used to do it. Even on the road, he would go find a float spa and go get in. And Navy SEALs do it. And creative people to unblock creative processes. Um, And then I know people who do it and they're like, eh, uh, that was interesting. I don't need to do that again. So turn it into a little like podcast theme because you're a water guy, do it. Maybe even you could even short podcast after each float or even like from the float room, you know, like, here I am. I'm going to get in. I'll talk to you in an hour, you know, that would be awesome. Love it. Um, I think I'd watch that. I'd listen to that. I think all of your listeners would be curious. Yeah, is there a mindset?
1: Is there a mindset one must uh, go to before getting in that you can recommend?
0: You know, like I said, don't go in caffeinated and you know totally jacked up. Um, You will inevitably have some discomfort with the level of nothingness uh, that you experience because there's no light, no gravity, the air, the water, and your body are basically the same temperature. I sort of lose track. With where, where my arms are, like literally, I, I feel like my arms are passing through my body, or I just you, the the body, the body mind connection dissolves, um, which is one of the reasons why it's such good therapy for people with body dysmorphia, um, eating disorders, anxiety disorders. Those are, it's one of the places that the research is pretty clear. Um, Anxiety, depression, stress, post-traumatic stress, uh, it's helpful. Again, not a silver bullet for everybody, but it can be really, really useful for, for a lot of folks. Um, so I'd say go in open-minded is a good, a good, No, no. Yep. You, oh, you're back. Okay, there, you're we're there. back.
1: We're back. Yes. Uh, so the, the the heart of... The 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 question there before we got on the flow tank, which was extremely valuable. Thank you for for that, um, and I will do that next week. I I, I saw uh, this photo of you in Tahiti on your on your Instagram feed, and it's a beautiful portrait. And first of all, like this is an aesthetic of water show at its heart. It's all about the the finer points, the the details of water. I I want to know from your just brilliant mind and your your deep thoughts on water where is the best water that you've seen that makes you feel so good when you close your eyes and is it tahiti is it the caribbean you've been all over the world and you're one person who has seen and thought about water in in such detail uh i would like to know from you what where is it and what did it look like
0: I, that's a, that's a question that's come up often and um and it, so i've had a, i've had time you're not surprising me with the question because i've had time to think about it um and if i if i'm speaking straight from my heart um and it makes me kind of emotional to answer the question and if i any water with the people i love any water with my girls any any like I miss them so much i uh, I miss my father, who passed. I loved being in the water with him. Um, my kids loved being in the water with me. um I can't be in the water with my dad anymore. he's gone. um my kids are both at college. I just crave being in the water with them, you know, like man, so much, and uh I don't care. I don't care if it's Tahiti, if it's Tahiti right on, that would be amazing. But if it's a, like junky ass pool, if I could just be with my, my girls in the water, you know, so, you know, that's, that's it. And, you know, it's a little kind of a little different answer to the question, but, um, you know, my favorite thing, you know, is, is that, is that, uh, that feeling, you know, to be you yeah. especially when they were little, you know, that, I mean, you know, you're in it, you're like, it's, man, don't miss a second of that. Cause when they're, when they're, when they go out into the world and, you know, and when your mom and dad die, you can't do it. And, um, it's, you know, and then they come back and, you know, you got a lot, you got, you don't have a lot of time when they visit. And so, uh, just any, any, water, like we, We've done some cool stuff together. Like turtles in the ocean, and surfing, and swimming, and diving, and just like jumping around. You know, they, gra- Dude, how they about, grab. how
1: about throwing a child up in that junky ass pool? Just that. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah. Like, like and you, then you say, got you got me going right now myself, oh, bro.
0: And they say do it again, and then you're like yeah, and then they're like do it again, and then like yeah, and then higher, and then they're doing like next thing you now they're doing backflips. Then the lifeguard's yelling
1: at you. you yeah. The
0: two of you. Yeah it's just pure joy and any, any water that I can do that. In, and obviously I don't fling my kids. Like they're big, they're big women. Um, I don't fling them in the air anymore, but you know, I wish I could. I mean, they wish I could. Uh, and then they, they, they grab you around the neck and you dive underwater. You're the turtle and they ride, you know, I did that with my dad, you know, I was like, dad, let's do the turtle ride and grab him around the neck and I'd, you know, Hold on to his hair and he would dive deep and we would swim and and then we come up and I'd do it again and that's just like that's that's memories and nostalgia and that's like you know body to body contact with the people you care about um it's just so good and like is there a virtual version of that hell no impossible uh so that's I mean really, there's some beautiful waters i have gotten experience in diving I mean you know morea is great I mean all you know whether it's it's all of it the coral reefs and the humpback whales and the sea turtles and the mantas and the surf, free diving sailing on a boat um it's epic um, but if you're not there with someone you love, so you know its so that's the i think that's the multiplier any water with someone that you want to be in that water with uh is the right place and um you know, we miss our girls and you know miss those times that we had uh but look forward to more you know see where see where life goes and where the Nichols family gets to travel but um
1: yeah and so deep and it really goes back to the ethos you started this conversation with is you don't need the ocean the ocean is great the tahiti water is great but you got the neighborhood pool down the road anyone can achieve these these bodies of water anywhere you you have to you just have to access them uh with with your your tuition um so i before I let you go tonight, I'm going to UNCW, my alma mater, where you spoke. I, I have the uh, honor to speak with uh, the Plastic Ocean Project. It's a club they have there, and um, I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. It's all about plastic in the ocean and the environment. Um, I, I have a few ideas, but I want to know from from you, the professor, uh, how what are the answers right now? Aside. From the um, the obvious of picking up trash on the beach, uh, uh, reducing, recycling, and 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 those um, those plans. Like, what what is it that the people can can uh, work towards regarding plastic in the ocean?
0: Yeah, two two big. I I was thinking about this. I saw that you're speaking on this topic um, tonight. Um, two big things, two kind of high level. Uh, So I've been working on plastic pollution since about 1996. That's a while. Um, And when we started, people said it wasn't a problem. And that, again, one of those back was don't screw up your career. Plastic isn't a problem. Um, And now, fast forward, 2024, you know, kings and queens and Kardashians and rock stars care about it. I mean, it, there's a thousand organizations around the world working on it. Uh, so much research, we know it's a problem. We know what needs to happen. We're moving, there's a movement. That is That gives me optimism. And there's all kinds of reasons to be upset and angry and concerned, all of them. It's, it's a horrific mess. But that we've gone from people In my lifetime, in my career, people saying it's not a problem, you're wasting your time. What are you gonna tell people to use less plastic? It doesn't really hurt the turtles if they eat it. To where we are today, that's progress. So just make sure you, you know, just echo that. Say, I talked to this guy, he's been working on it for a while, he just wants you to know, um, you may have discovered this problem two years ago, but, crap load more work to do, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Um, That's one, one piece of the message I would share. And the other thing is try as hard as you can to approach it with kindness at every opportunity um, with love and kindness and awe love for the ocean, love for people, love for wildlife, love for nature, love for the animals that are being impacted, Um, love for the future generations that are gonna deal with our mass. Um, And and I say that because our politics and our environmental movement is often just so divisive and sharp and angry. And I get that has proven to get us nowhere quickly. Um, every success I've been involved with has been by working with the so-called enemy, um, in solving the problem. So the black sea turtle is booming. They were on the verge of extinction and everybody thought it was too late. There was no funding, but we, by we, I mean, a bunch of biologists and a bunch of turtle hunters saved them, um, big success quietly without a lot of fanfare by working together. So there's like, there's opportunities for weird, unexpected partnerships. Um, nobody wants an ocean activist in their face, yelling at them. They, that won't ever win the day. You, you're not going to save the ocean by arguing with people and downloading a whole bunch of facts all over them. It just doesn't work uh, or scaring them. Uh, or making them feel really really bad they're not going to join our club so as as hard as it may be sometimes to try to be as kind as possible and approach somebody who may have just dropped their plastic crap on the beach um go up to them and say hey we're trying to win the cleanest beach in the world award can you help us <laughs> hey, that's that sounds like it might work versus like you asshole. <laughs> The fuck you doing? You know, pick your shit up. I'm gonna kick your ass. You know, that's our maybe our tendency. But, um, so, yeah, like use positive psychology, I guess, and um, you know, and there's a place for lawsuits, class action lawsuits. So there's that's a tool, kit, a tool in the toolkit. Tool um, but we're trying to build a giant movement, and the way you do that is by bringing people on board um, through success, through, you know, positive outcomes and creative solutions and fun. Uh, and so, you know, my kids, when they were little, they get really upset about, you know, people leaving their trash at the beach. And I had to kind of constantly say, we're going to, you know, we're going to solve this problem through kindness and through meeting people where they are. And, um, and I you know you might think that sounds really super naive, but i'm fifty six I've tried a whole bunch of different things, and uh got involved with this plastic issue at the beginning and um butting heads doesn't doesn't get us there um, what's so exciting is all the different you know the the material economy, all the innovation and you know making our stuff out of better materials so that it does the job it's supposed to do but doesn't create these side effects that that hurt us and hurt nature that's this huge opportunity to kind of redesign everything from the you know the stuff i'm wearing maybe the, what your headphones are made out of to the car materials in your car and your laptop and your you know, and your surfboards. And um, so that you just got to push for push for beautiful uh, stuff and um, make it make that happen. Uh, but that's again, it's it's more creative and kind and um, kind of winning that way. So optimism and kindness, maybe it would be what it would boils down to. And keep that, you know, keep the hammer in your back pocket when you need it. <laughs> know uh but the ocean is not full of plastic yet we hear that i hear that i actually wrote an op-ed years ago and the title was the ocean is not full of plastic and i got like my colleagues were not happy that i said that and that sort of is indicative of maybe our problem if if we tell people the ocean's full of plastic then they're going to say well what's the point Why would I even go to the ocean? It's gross. Then they're not going to fall in love with the ocean. Kids will say, the ocean's full of plastic. It kills you. Don't go there. And then they become disinterested. uh, And then they're not part of the team. So the ocean is not full of plastic. It's in trouble. It needs us. But you got to fall in love. Head over heels. Like more in love with the water in the ocean, then you've been in it for anyone or anything. And then you're an unstoppable ocean warrior, water warrior. Um, that process doesn't happen by freaking people out and convincing them that if they go outside, they're going to get sick. So they should just stay at home on, in, with their VR headset, where it's all safe. You know, you don't, you don't ingest plastic when you're just sitting in virtual reality so you're good right no that's 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 a that's way scarier to me so um fall in love be kind be optimistic work hard come up with the solutions you know get bored and creative sometimes and come up with the solutions you know because we haven't figured it out yet so there's huge opportunities to you know do new stuff
1: Great advice. And and I'm going to, I'm going to touch on all, all, all those pieces. And uh, a few uh, months ago I had on um, a, a, a gentleman named Wes Carter, and he's the president of uh, Atlantic Packaging, which is the, the, the largest packaging company in North America. He has a side project he's working on called a new earth project. Are you familiar with a new earth project?
0: Yeah. Project? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So, so his whole thing is making uh, this, uh, uh, packaging that's um, earth sustainable, biodegradable, and I was going to speak about that. But here's my question with, with that uh, from your science mind: um, Are are you are you transferring something like like the stuff has to come from somewhere? And is the the tree that's being cut down to make the styrofoam or the new styrofoam that's made of biodegradable is is that creating new problems or like? What what is worse, and um, from your objective uh, opinion, like how how do you view that?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a massive playing field. So, there, you know, just go on Amazon and see all the different things that we have available to us. From and not even just the packaging, but just so many different things made of so many different materials, and the majority of the things and the majority of the materials. Have a a big downside, so we need to kind of redesign everything. Uh, and fortunately, there's some pretty interesting ideas of where where the raw material can come from that is is not toxic, um, petroleum-based stuff. And you know, people are working with with algae, and they're working with truly really biodegradable um, ingredients and components. I think the the idea of the, the circular economy, so when you you build in responsibility for the producer for the end life of the product or the, the lifetime of the product, then you start to rethink the different components. So, you know, whether it's these little headsets, if Apple is responsible for these, when I'm done with them, I'm obsolete, they might design them differently than the disposal, when the way most things are designed, is straight to landfill once their life cycle is complete very different if there is no landfill end game so it, it you know and it, it it varies from say you know the can that your drink is in or the packaging that surrounds the device that comes in the mail uh, or the clothing that you're wearing um, it's such a big playing field in terms of all all the different materials that make up our, our economy. So it's a, there's a thousand different conversations, which material we're talking about. Um, Again, that's a huge opportunity for innovators to kind of come in and say, I'm going to make a better shoe and these shoes do no harm and they work. You can play basketball, you can jump, you can run. They don't fall apart, uh, but they also don't, slowly break down and, and create nanoplastic like most shoes currently do we don't talk about it but if the soles of your shoes are worn down that means you've left nanoplastic particles everywhere you've walked for the lifetime of that those shoes it's very very small abraded tiny microscopic pieces of your shoes and that's mostly plastic like far out you know like wow I i don't want to I feel bad for walking now. Maybe I should just stay in the basement on my V and never walk. Um, or don't wear so think shoes. About all, don't wear shoes, yeah, exactly. Or wear shoes that are like creating nutrients to, to the environment that are you know truly biodegradable rather than you know the, one, the way they're made now. Um, kind of mind-blowing to think about that, that every step you're taking, you're polluting, you're putting nanoplastic you know on the pavement which is washing into the waterways Uh, so that's a freaky thing but so let's redesign the soles of our shoes and everything else Um, and so I'm not a, a chemical engineer that's not my thing but people are working on that and they're getting creative and then they're getting disruptive and then they need to create market share and nudge their project their product or their project into the mainstream and do marketing and convince people this surfboard is cleaner in its production and its disposal once you're done surfing it than that one over there so buy this one what if it's more expensive well then that's that's where marketing comes in maybe longevity maybe other features same thing with wetsuits and then everything, everything we, we use. Um, but the, I think the key to it, it gets, it can get so overwhelming to the point where it exhausts you and depresses you. And then you're in gray mind. And I can tell you from experience, goodbye creativity, goodbye compassion, goodbye collaboration. Um, gray mind is not not where you want to be. So don't burn yourself out. Don't completely freak yourself. Energize yourself. We got serious problems to solve. They can be pretty damn scary. But don't, don't, and definitely don't burn our kids out. Like I see young people are already burnt out and they're 15 because they're hopeless due to eco-anxiety, plastic anxiety, climate anxiety, extinction anxiety, and then just every other kind of anxiety. And they're 15 and they're not creative. They're not compassionate. They're not collaborative. They're not even sure they want to get to be my age. Um, that sucks, like we're doing that. So I think you, you got to j- jump in the ocean regularly shake it off, come back and be creative. It kind of connects the dots on this plastic pollution issue. It's um, unhealthy people are not going to solve that problem. Uh, Depressed people are not going to creatively solve our big problems. Guarantee it. Wildly stressed out, anxious people, like frazzled anxious people, they're not going to solve our problems and, and really solve them? No way. It's the cool, calm, collected, blue minded, creative, compassionate, collaborative, unstoppable people who are going to solve the problems. That's who I put my money on. So be that, (laughs) you know, like understand your blue mind and then come at plastic pollution or overfishing or sustainable agriculture or racial injustice from this place of solid heart you know, grounded feet, connected to your water, um, healthy mind, that's the base, that's the base of sustainability, true sustainability, is that, is your emotional well-being. Um, so there's another message for, for your students tonight. Crush,
1: crush that. And it starts, again, with the blue scription, finding your own blue scription and applying it, and then everything else will come uh, Dr. J, I, I cannot thank you enough for, for spending this over now two hours with us. I, I, I could literally just keep going with, with you, but I know you, you're very busy and have to go. I have one more question for you. Um, what is the meaning of life according to Dr. Wallace J.
0: Nichols? The meaning of life. You saved the easy one for last, right? The meaning of life. I would say getting in the water with, with the people you love that uh as water beings on a water planet that as far as we know is unique in the universe i think that pretty much sums it up you know being connected to the source of all life as often as you can with the people you care about is is the meaning of my life for sure um throw some music in there and some good art like we talked about earlier then you know you're rich forever yeah
1: so good epic and uh i have one follow-up ps question if i could uh okay so we evolved out of the ocean we're, we we somehow we're connected to dolphins i understand as the marine <laughs> biologist what how did the dolphin leave the ocean and then get back into the ocean and uh that's that's the missing link i'm just constantly baffled by like what caused that group to go back to the ocean, and is that is that a no known or is that a hypothesis?
0: I would say that the genetics and our the people who study evolutionary history have pretty much dialed in that you know escape from the water to the land and then the return return to the water by some of the forms and dolphins being being one example, um, uh, but we all on- and carry around that water legacy like we are sacks of seawater like those birds flying around right outside the window they're sacks of seawater so we all all of us terrestrial beings are carrying around that that um that watery legacy and that's that's really clear and uh you know hats off to the people who dig around in the fossil evidence and the dna and try to piece together millions of years of the past without really getting to look at it uh that's some pretty interesting work in in sort of evolutionary biology and uh and cladistics is the field um but uh, yeah that's a we'll I'll, I'll send you a link that you can add in the show notes to the to the evolutionary history of marine mammals it's tough. and turtles by the way
1: even though they come from uh the 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 egg
0: well turtles yeah turtles have a uh, I i mean they're they're on land. I mean, the cool the cool thing about sea turtles is they they um, have an aquatic existence, but they come up on to land and to lay their eggs. So they kind of have this um, land sea connection that makes them uh, makes me love them more. I guess is probably a short way of putting it. But uh, turtle evolutionary history separate from marine mammals, but also fascinating and ancient. So.
1: Well, I think that's another podcast in itself. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can, can, can. Yeah. Maybe we can get together in about six months or so in the summertime and uh, and, and reconnect if if, uh, if you'd great. be up for that, guys. um uh, Here here's my my signed audio book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. We we, uh, we we got this together um, a few months ago. Go out, pick up a hard copy. Pick up an audio book. You can download it to your phone. It is an amazing amazing read. Um, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I'm also going to put a link to the, to the Patreon and, um, that's awesome. guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 43 of speaking from water. And again, um, smash that like button, push uh, the subscribe, you know, do all those things. And, um,
0: until next time, peace. I got one more thing to add. Yeah. Come bring it. Peace. Right yeah. over your shoulder is a, is a, the first photograph ever taken of our home. And it's called the Blue Marble. Right over your there it is, just uh, on point. I'm just going to say, uh, uh, yes, beautiful and, photograph. And
1: thank you for noticing. Uh, my dad, he his second. He was a professional artist his whole life. He, his second act was a, a high school um digital art teacher. He just retired and they were giving out stuff from the school building. And and that was from like the 1970s in the school building. And he's like, Do you want this? I was like, absolutely, because that is the first, the first one. But like, yep, that's like right. look, it's it's and what I love so much about it is it's Afrocentric. Okay. Like right. it's it's Africa. And everything we're so uh, I, I got another one over here if you see over there and that's uh you yeah. know north america centric and you know we're we're we evolved out of africa and i mm-hmm. love how it's afrocentric and when the when the when the hubble space shuttle as i believe it was first taken isn't that right it looked it was back, it
0: apollo it was apollo, apollo mission, there we but, go yeah
1: yep, mm-hmm. there we go it looked back and if in this blackness there
0: we were blue so yeah, that's right and That photograph is the most reproduced photograph of all time for one reason, which is we love our home. So there it is right over your shoulder, right above the door where it ought to be. Yep.
1: And it it will stay there. Thank you again so much for joining us, doctor.
0: My honor, my pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Keep going. You're inspiring and keep painting and photographing and producing and getting in the water
1: big up thank you all so much peace